The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees, the North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet, coming to you from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern provolone is man in the production elements of the podcast. Coming up on today's program, in fact, in just a minute or two, Tiffany Wilson with Aries Building is going to join us about their Easter basket charity project. They've gone down in South Texas. Kids, of course, not necessarily able to be with their parents. Either their parents are quarantined or their the kids are in quarantine, that type of thing. That's happening out there. That's a reality. So Tiffany Wilson with Aries Building and some of her colleagues are making sure that uh, they're doing what they can to give children a somewhat of a festive Easter. We'll just leave it at that, I guess, because... It, you know, everybody's everybody's situation is so different. It's hard to really blanket anything here because we're all really in this together. But at the same time, it's still so different because I never even thought of that. You know, some kids are quarantined with their grandparents because the grandparents were watching them that day. And then, boom, the stay-at-home or- orders came into effect. And some people got diagnosed. Some people didn't. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic that's going on. Tiffany Wilson Aries Buildings coming up a little later in the program, actually in just a minute or two. Also, Dustin Goverlow, founder, president of Policy Matters and the North Dakota Watchdog Network, will be discussing what the Whiting bankruptcy means to the state of North Dakota. As you know, we've put out requests multiple times since December to the state of North Dakota to discuss this issue about their just their sheer reliance of oil and gas taxes to pay for their revenue just to operate the state and when we started seeing some of the issues coming with the oil and gas the signs were there last july i believe it was whiting laid off a third of the staff november posted you know a billion bucks in in debt and then of course this recent bankruptcy and the state of north dakota that's one of their biggest producers so this is a this is a legitimate conversation to have and the state you know, now they're using the COVID-19 that's that's keeping them busy and the social distancing and that sort of thing, I guess. But at the same time, these requests have been going on since since November. And so Dustin Goverlow, he said he'd join us to talk about that. He's with the North Dakota Watchdog Network. This is the kind of stuff he does for a living. So he's all over it, that kind of thing. So what else do we have going on? Josh Swanson, Vogel Law, is going to tell us why pandemic and epidemic could be extremely important in the oil and gas industry right now, as well as other industries. Uh, that is our daily radio update on the podcast. Of course, we do a daily radio update for a number of radio stations, and we are going to throw that on our podcast at the very end. So stick with this, folks, and Josh Swanson will give you the daily update. We also have it on our website at thecrudelife.com. Daily headlines, we're going to skip those, but we do have them available at the website. Trump administration opposed to royalty relief for oil companies and oil and gas pipeline to be built near Carlsbad found have minimal impact on the environment. And then to enforce social distancing rules, cops find a Pennsylvania woman who was driving alone. How about that, folks? We live in a day and age 
where if you go play with your kid at the park, you can get a couple cops to come up and cite you a ticket for social distance violation. Yet they don't wear masks. They don't have gloves on and you weren't breaking any laws, and then they come up and break the law. That's the world we're living in right now, folks. That's the level of craziness that is going on, and I, it happens. It happens. So check out the different stories we have at the headlines. Our sponsor today is Elite Energy Services. Thank you very much, Elite Energy Services. You're doing a fantastic job out there in the field. Elite Energy Services' mission is to be the most honest and ethical trade partner of choice to deliver high-quality, cost-effective projects on schedule by employing and supporting motivated, flexible, and focused teams. They value the importance of their relationships and continue to remain fair and true to their dealings with all the employees, clients, vendors, and partners. For more information, visit their website. By the way, for more information... I need to get a little bit more articulate. I noticed that. For more information, I kind of did a little slurring there. EliteEnergyServices.org. Go to EliteEnergyServices.org for more information. The Fire Tube Specialists, Elite Energy Services. Okay, what else do we have going on today's program? Uh, Hatch Coaching is our studio sponsor. Our Bakken Barbecue phone lines is ringing right now. Oh, the March Madness Tournament. The video's up, folks. We've got a final. Provolone, are you getting Tiffany Wilson ready there? Okay, great. Tiffany Wilson, Aries Building in just a second here, but Aries Buildings is in the final four with Target Hospitality, and then Swan Energy is taking on number 13 K9 pipe inspection and the videos are up. I'm not going to mention anything to Tiffany about it because we're going to talk about the Easter basket drive and that way I, I don't want anybody to focus on it. That's why I'm getting into it right now before we get to Tiffany and um, the March Madness Tournament, the Crude Life 2020 March Madness Tournament. We're down to the finals. So if you check out the crudelife.com, right? It's like the first or second story. You'll see it. You'll see it, folks. We got the video there. All right. Hey, let's get to Tiffany Wilson here. Uh, Provolone, patch her through if you wouldn't mind, please. Tiffany Wilson, Aries Building Systems. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. And this is a fun portion of the program. We get to talk about how to help other people. And you're organizing a charity drive that I saw that's getting some activity on the social media world. So let's talk about that. Let's bring it to the audio world via radio and podcast. How are you doing today, Tiffany? Good. How are you doing, Jason? Excellent. Where are you at? Now, let me guess. Are you out in the middle of nowhere down in Texas by a ghost town? <laughs> so I am six miles north of Orla. We're on a remote location. Got my jetpack set up so I can talk to you. Uh, we are out here living on the land. <laughs> Good times. See, things do move ahead. You know, oil and gas essential and one of the things that has really come to light with the COVID-19 shutdown is really the importance of oil and gas, whether it be from powering the ventilators or whether it be from the plastics and the hybrid masks, whatever it might be, to the diesel fuel, bringing things to point A to point B. Of course, we need the hardworking men and women out there making everything possible. But there's another side of it. And the other side of it is that the oil and gas industry, one of the things that makes it such a wonderful industry, in my opinion, and the reason why I do this, is because it's true form of capitalism where they tend to give back. The oil and gas community gives back like 
no other industry, and I've covered almost every industry over the last 20, 25 years. And the oil and gas industry is top notch. And I just wanted to give you a little hand in terms of getting the word out there, letting some people know, because although people are, you know, tightening their bootstraps a little bit and their belts, there are still some people making money. And there are some people out there still with a generous heart. And there are some people out there still thinking of the children, if you will. So uh, take this opportunity, talk about your charity drive, talk about some of the donors, if you care to, or some of the items and et cetera. So uh, Tiffany Wilson, uh, go ahead, talk about what you have going. Absolutely. Thank you, Jason, and appreciate your time. So what we got going on here is, of course, we're out here in West Texas, out in the middle of nowhere, but we've had a lot of kids that, you know, of course, they can't be in school right now, and they they don't really understand what's going on, and uh, a lot of them experience Easter every year, and we want to we want to get back and make sure that they're still experiencing that in the safest way possible. So uh, what we're doing is we're starting out on 285 headed towards Pecos. Uh, we're going to stop off in Pecos, Monahans, all the way to Odessa, Andrews. We'll stop there. Um, then we're going to go straight into some towns called Seminole, Seagraves, Brownfield, Lubbock. <laughs> Um, we've had quite a few companies come forward asking how they can help. Um, we really, really appreciate it. I mean, it's, we've had an overwhelming response and it's, uh, it means a lot that people are still out here thinking of all the kids and everything that they're doing. So, um, one company that comes to mind is Petroleum Equipment and Service Association out of Houston. Uh, they were the first ones to really jump on this, and I can't thank her enough. She sent out a contribution and uh, really helped with the children this year. So we want to thank her. We want to ex thank Extreme Engineering. Um, there's some private companies that stay here in our lodge that didn't want to be recognized, but uh, we've got over 52 kids so far that are going to have an Easter because of the oil and gas industry. And... Uh, it just means a lot to us, you know. It, it's a big part of what we do. Uh, we're going to do it the safest way possible. I know everybody's scared right now. Um, we're taking extreme measures here at our lodges. And uh, we're just going to drop off in the front yards, let them know that we're thinking of them. Uh, we want these kids to, the teachers have lifted them up so much through, visio, through audio and everything else. But we want them to know that we're out here too. Now, you mentioned that you're going to be traveling to a couple different locations. Um, you know, in a perfect world, how would you see this kind of playing out? Because I, I understand that somebody can either send you a check or email you and, and figure out some way to get you a donation or whatever it is that you might be looking for. When you're going to, you know, you mentioned you're doing some traveling. How, how does that look a little bit? So we are taking 285 straight into these towns. We'll do the drop-offs in the front yard just for safety purposes. You know, uh, we got these kids, a lot of them, they're stuck in the houses and they're stir-crazy. So um, the best that we can do for our safety is drop these off in the front yards, but we're going to go through each town. Um, and I missed, what, I missed what this is. Is it, is it an Easter basket? Easter baskets, we've got different Easter gifts. We have names of all the kids. Um, we've had an overwhelming response, not only of the kids in need, but people wanting to donate. 
So right now we're not accepting visitors at our lodges, but we will allow people to bring donations to the check-in. Or we also have a PayPal going on my part. It's T. Wilson uh, Aries. Or you can find it under T. Wilson at AriesBuildings.com if you want to donate cash. And, and we will get that set up. And once again, this is this is for children who are going to be more or less estranged from their families during during the absolutely yeah so my kids right now and this is one reason why it's so dear to my heart is we had a, i'm from lubbock texas and we had so many cases out there that they are confined in a home with my mother um, and so i'm out here at one of our camps working and so we're not going to get to experience easter together and i started thinking about all the other families that are going through this and the response i got there's so many that are in the same position. So we just want to give back and do what we can to help. And once again, how can people help out? They can stop off at the Goldsmith Lodge by Odessa if they want to drop off an Easter basket. Um, ask for Brianna there. Of course, we know not many people come out to the middle of nowhere in Orland. But if you're this way, um, we had, do have a check-in. Karen's out there. She will accept the donation. Or you can PayPal me. Um, it's under T. Wilson at AriesBuildings.com. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, so I'll tell you what, we'll even put we'll put it up on the Crude Life too. So if you go to the CrudeLife.com, we'll have a post with all the links available there to the different uh, LinkedIn and PayPal and et cetera to kind of help you out that way too. We can try to direct some traffic from the crudelife.com because sometimes it's hard for people to, then again, Hey, everybody's at home. Never mind. Get your pen and paper out. People <laughs> get your pen yeah. and paper out here. Every, everybody's <laughs> at home for the most part. And the ones, I mean, the guys that have been out here at the lodge working today, we've had a, quite a few donations from them that even though they're going through hard times and their families are at home, um, they've been more than happy to help. We're all, we're all in this together. You know, a lot of people talked about, I did have some calls where people talked about, you know, no one cared when the oil crashed up until everybody started losing their jobs. And that's not how we work here in the oil and gas industry. We we're, we want everyone to know that we care about everyone. And I think this is going to change the nation, to be honest with you. I think it's going to give everyone a whole different perspective, you know. Thank you, Tiffany Wilson with Aries Buildings. For more information about the Easter Charity Basket project they have going on, of course, you can be from anywhere and help be a part of it. We have the PayPal link and Tiffany Wilson's LinkedIn page link available at thecrudelife.com on our show page, on our podcast page. If you go there, we got the links right there. All right, coming up next, Dustin Goverlow. He's the founder, president of Policy Matters and the North Dakota Watchdog Network because there's a lot of people very concerned about what's going on in the state of North Dakota because of the sheer reliance the state has put on the oil and gas industry to fund so much of their general fund. So with Whiting, their recent restructuring with the bankruptcy, you've got other things happening with Russia, uh, shenanigans with OPEC, Saudi Arabia. Then you got the COVID-19 shutdown plus the coronavirus pandemic, all these things going on, right? Well, North Dakota still has things to do. And so they're still open, by the way. They're like one of four states left in the nation. Do you know what they got going in North Dakota right now? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. If you are in North Dakota 
and you're from another state, you got to stay in North Dakota for two weeks. That's how, that, that's how you get business. You don't, you don't keep people out of your state. No, you keep them in your state. So <laughs> they're not closing the state down. They're saying, come on in. And when you come in, you got to stay for two weeks. Here, here's a nice hotel you could use. I mean, you kids is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. All right. Dustin Governor, founder, president of Policy Matters and the North Dakota Watchdog Network. Provolone, let's patch them through on the Bakken barbecue phone lines. And if you wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind uh, maybe a mic level check. Oh, do we got? No, we got Dustin patched in via our super duper Bakken barbecue phone lines because... Oh, that's right. That's right. He's got a studio too. All right, let's patch him through via, we don't have a sponsor for this high level stuff yet. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Dustin Goverlow joining us with the Watchdog Network. How are you doing today? Oh, pretty good, Jason. Thank you for joining us here. And what's going on in your neck of the woods with the COVID-19 shutdown? I mean, you're kind of a home office guy to begin with, so transition i imagine was somewhat easy but yeah i mean here in bismarck we've had uh basically the restaurants have converted to delivery and takeout only like everywhere else in the country and then uh beyond that uh you know stores are still open and have been fairly busy whenever i've been out and about and uh uh, for the most part, uh, you know, traffic is is down, but not significantly at certain times of day. You'd think that. Uh, I, I think that what happens is that a lot of people get tired of sitting at home, and they got to go out and drive around a little bit and bring up some gas. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, being one of the border states, uh, the governor, of course, he doesn't want people out there traveling. He mentioned uh, the Dakotas, and you've got Minnesota that's shut down, and. So it's it's kind of kind of interesting you being in the center, you know, being away from some of the uh, more border towns and everything where, you know, you've got a little bit less activity. I know in, um, on the east side in Fargo, man, it's like a ghost town in that town. Yeah, it's definitely not a ghost town here. I mean, it, I think every guy on motorcycle has been out in the last 48 hours because the streets are finally dry. And uh, you've got a lot of people just, just out and about and, you know, they don't have anything to do. They don't. They're not going to work. You know, they may have been left to uh, stay at home, but they're uh, doing whatever they can to fill the time and get out in the sun. I think you know it's kind of tough to keep North Dakotans in houses during the spring. You know, after a long winter, so you know that's kind of a a tough challenge to convince people that they should stay inside. Oil and gas is one of the necessity essential businesses when it comes to the COVID-19 shutdown and the coronavirus in terms of no matter what state you're in, it seems like the governor has pretty much deemed that essential. Uh, in in the Bakken, it's, it's been a little different, you know, with prices the way they have and the demand side of things as well. And then all of a sudden, uh, it's a little different in the state of North Dakota because Boy, I want to check. I think we had a guest on, Brent Bogar from Jade Stone Consulting, and I think he had somewhere like 55% of the state's budget. At least that's the numbers I've been spouting on the program. So um, are you still kind of tracking what's going on there, you know, being the watchdog network you are? I know that you're a lot more active when it comes to kind of a legislative and political season, but uh, 
it, how how are my numbers there on that fifty five percent? And do you kind of know what I'm talking about when I'm when I'm referring to the state of North Dakota's budget and the revenues tied to those uh, oil and gas taxes? Yeah, fifty five would definitely be on the high side, but it's not too extremely high. Uh, you've got the money that that uh, has come in over the years, and uh, the oil tax revenue itself is uh, is one piece of it. And I believe the general fund pulls, or general fund equivalent spending pulls about a billion and a half directly from oil money. And then you've got, I believe, thirty percent of the sales taxes is attributed to oil activity and and other activities that are indirectly linked to oil. And then you've got the entire you know, all the other auxiliary revenues that are created by those people being here, which also includes sales tax, but includes, uh, you know, income tax and, and other taxes at the local level. And so uh, it's definitely a, a huge piece of the puzzle. And what we're seeing with both the price declines and the production declines already kicking in uh, within the last week, uh, Lynn Helms at, uh, announced that uh, something like 140,000 barrels of oil in production were, were reduced because wells were being shut in, and something like another 200,000 barrels would, would also be reduced in the next couple months as a function of the fact that prices are coming down. And so, you know, between the price that's being taxed and the amount of oil that is being produced, uh, the state's oil tax revenue is going to drastically decline. And I think that uh, we'll you know, if everything holds up the way that it is, we'll probably be below a million barrels a day by midsummer, uh, and that is going to have a severe impact on on the situation for North Dakota, and and that's why I've been predicting that uh, we'll probably have a special session mid July sometime, uh, you know, long enough after the planting season is done, and and hopefully people can congregate in groups more than ten by then but not too late that it uh, inter- interferes with harvest time. So, um, you know, you've, you've got significant cuts that are coming down the road. I don't think anybody is acknowledging just how bad it's going to be. I've noticed in the last couple of days that there are finally some other media voices saying, you know, we should probably look at a special session. And uh, in, in from what I've been able to tell about uh, Doug Burgum, he's just trying to get past this medical situation first and, and then get into the the economics of it. But, uh, you know, we've got a, a twofold issue. Not only do we have the virus to contend with, but even if we, we didn't have that, the oil prices have collapsed so drastically that we would even require a special session uh, without the virus because uh, the, this oil collapse has been worse than the 2014-15 collapse. So, you know, we're, we're heading for some some drastic changes in how we operate. And hopefully with this being the second time that oil has collapsed in the last five years, uh, our lawmakers will finally realize that it's not a good idea to uh, put oil even into the mix at all. I mean, in my, in my uh, analysis, I think that our budget going forward should not even calculate oil into the ongoing budget. It should only be basically the gravy on top that, you know, if we have it, we're going to use it for X, Y, and Z, but we're not going to count on it being there to run our government. How about when it comes to Whitey and Petroleum's recent announcement of the bankruptcy and the 
as a chapter 11, I think. I, I'm not really quite sure what kind of impact that has with um, the oil and gas taxes, I guess. But I know that some people are asking the question if one thing has anything to do with the other. Well, you know, I think that the taxes are not necessarily a, a downward driver for the companies. At this point, the, the price is so low that the tax is irrelevant. Um, it's just a marginal issue at this point. But um, as far as what, what Whiting's bankruptcy, and, and there's probably going to be more bankruptcies coming down the road for sure, um, what that's going to do is determine whether they're going to continue to produce or not. And, uh, you know, once they go into bankruptcy, there, there's, I don't know how it works, but there might be a situation where the, the court insists that they keep producing uh, as a means to, to keep cash flowing. So uh, that might actually be a detriment to the overall oil uh, production numbers in the world. I, I saw earlier today that uh, ExxonMobil announced that they're going to cut their own production by 30% in the next year and that uh, they expect the industry to cut significantly as well. So that will find that will end up, uh, you know, in one to two year window, stabilizing things because there won't be as much supply going into tanks, but there's also not as much demand right now to burn it up. So uh, the overall picture on on the industry is uh, is midterm, probably not that great yet. You know, the the most optimistic numbers that I've seen is that maybe three to five years out, we finally level off and and are past this point, but. You know, the, the, the bigger picture for public policy is that our elected officials need to realize that that money is not guaranteed, that the industry and the, the market is so topsy-turvy that using that as a, a long-term sustainable revenue source is just not a reasonable or prudent approach anymore. I guess when I take a look at this, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the projections that states do when it comes to taxes and funding. And then I think about the reality of not only oil prices, but in this instance, you had the Saudi Arabia, Russia, OPEC thing, and then come on the other side with the coronavirus shock. So it was really a one-two punch. And then I think about all the school incentives that are involved with, with a lot of these different taxes, whether it be from the county level, from a sales tax, or whether it be from a state level. Um, is there any, been any talk at all around Bismarck that you're hearing about? I've got requests out to the different organizations, and, and you know I've had a request into Burgum's office now for several months, since probably December, to talk about this, because... I, I don't know. I, I think it's an issue. I mean, it seemed like it was a few years ago when they were paying all those taxes. Now it would seem like if they're not going to pay the taxes, it would be a bigger issue, if you know what I mean. I mean, a couple of years ago, they were, after the study was done, man, it seems like they were telling everybody how much taxes oil and gas were. But now it, it's like you can't hardly find anybody. So I, I just didn't know. I appreciate you coming on because I know you follow this stuff. So um, just kind of curious about that whole thing. And you think special session might be coming in July, though, huh? That would be my guess. That would be my guess. I mean, it could be different. It could be late June. It could be uh, early August. But it's going to be in that range sometime during summer. Um, because, you know, when, when you've got massive reductions in revenue, 
the sooner that you start taking spending off the table, the less painful it is going to be on a month-by-month -month basis. We've got a full year left of the biennium. You know, our budget cycle is, is July 1st to July 1st, two years later. So our biennium ends July 1, or our, our, the fiscal year ends July 1, so we will have a full year left in the biennium. And, and being able to divide those budget cuts over 12 months is going to be a lot less painful than dividing those budget cuts over eight or six months. And, uh, you know, even though you've got the, the regular session coming up in January, you want to hit this stuff sooner rather than later. And the governor has the ability to allocate certain percentages, but uh, I think that at this point uh, it should be more of a rebudgeting than an allocation situation, that, that the legislature should come back and look at their own numbers and, and determine where they're really at and, and whether that is where they want to be. And, you know, that way it does two things. You've got it's no longer just up to the governor, and that theoretically will make fewer people upset. And secondly, the legislature can take ownership of their overspending over the years and get things in line. Uh, and, and basically, the more that they cut during this next, uh, you know, during the special session, the less that they have to cut in January as well for the next biennium, which is going to be significantly lower. I would guess 25 to 30% lower next biennium than this biennium. And uh, you've got to you've got to get in there early to take care of that, or else you are really just setting yourself up for for trouble down the road. How about when it comes to the east-west side of things? I know that's been an issue in the past to the tune to where they several times tried to pass, and I think this last time they passed something called uh, Prairie Dog. Yes. Operation Prairie Dog, and they, like I said, they've tried before of uh, Western stimulus and some some other things. Is is that get infected, uh, impacted at all, affected at all during this whole thing? I know that they were trying to make sure that the Western side of the states were not forgotten and uh, given the new state of events and, and the population disparity, I just uh, have to raise that question. You know, is that is that talked about at all? And, and, you know, have you thought of that, I guess? Well, you know, the Prairie Dog Bill was designed to put money into cities that had not gotten surge money and to spread it out from the West and make it more even statewide. My guess is that the oil prices and production levels are going to make the overall uh, allocation and, and, and appropriation from the uh, the Prairie Dog Bill pretty much uh, minimal, if anything at all, because of the way that that was set up. It was kind of, it was fairly convoluted the way that that formula worked out. And you know, one of the things that they didn't want to do was spend money before they had it in the bank. So uh, I think that you're going to see less impact from that than people thought. It probably will kick some cash in for construction this time around. You know, at, at one of the press conferences last week, we heard Burgum actually use the B word, which is bonding, uh, which is the state going in debt to generate some cash to do some infrastructure work. And, you know, he, he was saying it because we've, we've got ultra low interest rates. You know, the state could probably take out some bonded debt at under 2%. And, you know, maybe even do what a lot of people 
including myself, have wanted, which is utilize the Bank of North Dakota as an infrastructure bank more than it has been. Uh, we've got it. it. It has certain things that it could do. Uh, the, the legislature could allocate certain money, say the, the earnings from the legacy fund, to paying down the debt that they, they bond out. And with uh, you know $100 million a year in uh, payments, they could bond out a billion dollars in, in bonded debt and have uh, that to spend now and pay it off in under 11 years at 2% rate, or maybe under 12 years. So you're at a situation where we should probably be looking at that, but you don't want to go into debt to prop up government. The only debt that you should be taking on is debt that is true infrastructure debt that's going to go into roads or bridges uh, that are going to last 50 to 80 years. And, uh, you know, then you also have to take into account that the federal government's going to come in with their own infrastructure bill. And, uh, frankly, we might need to bond out just to, to have matching funds to, uh, to take advantage of those federal dollars as well. So there's a lot of pieces that are going to be moving that, that the legislature's not in, used to because, man, I, I don't know that we've taken out new debt in North Dakota since the early 90s. So that's going to be a new feature that, that uh, is uh, not uh, common in the last generation of lawmakers. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on and talk about some of this because it's showing once again that um, pretty much everything's being put on the table in terms of what is a solution. And it's kind of interesting, you know, I'm, I'm taking a look at the different states and, you know, with, with North Dakota just operating business as usual, um, it's, it's, uh, it's different. You know, it's almost like, once again, North Dakota's in that bubble again. During the during the Bakken boom and the rest of the country was going through like a little bit of a recession, North Dakota was doing really good. Them in Texas, yeah. Well, in, in North Dakota is always in a bubble. We're always counter cyclical to the rest of the country. Uh, you remember the the 08, 09, uh, Great Recession with the financial collapse nationwide and worldwide. North Dakota was immune from that for two reasons: one, the the boom was starting, but number two, our uh, subprime loan market was already socialized back in the late 80s during the farm crisis the bank of north dakota was put into a position of buying mortgages that were otherwise considered subprime and so we had already socialized that market so there was no problem with private banks collapsing due to giving out loans to people who shouldn't have them if there were any loans they were already owned by the bank of north dakota and that basically leveled things out and and prevented a bailout because we'd already done the bailout back in the 80s. So with that being said, uh, there's really a lot of different things that are on the table when it comes to the different solutions and different different ideas that are out there. And, and the one thing that I do that does concern me, though, is, you know, as I mentioned, I, I brought up the prairie dog for, for a reason is that it's it's been a historical battle trying to get resources allocated to the western side of the state to the tune to where they actually had to create a bill for it. Um, the east is got a water project that they're, they're not letting go of. And Minnesota doesn't, every day it seems like they're going to help less and less with the finances. And so it's either up to the feds or it's up to the state. And it just seems like with the universities on the eastern side of the state and now with energy the way it's at, boy, I'd hate to see the West get their back turned on once again. 
What are your thoughts on that water project on the eastern side of the state uh, causing any ruffles in this? Well, I, I do believe that uh, if we have a two, $2 trillion infrastructure bill, that it's going to be on the backs of, of both Senator Hoven because of his seniority and Senator Kramer because of his connection with President Trump to include in there a significant amount of money for the Red River Diversion Project and maybe the whole thing. You know, if we're going to be spending multiple trillions of dollars on infrastructure, that project needs to be in there. And I would say that if that project is not in there, then that that's a major problem for the people of North Dakota because if we're going in debt nationally, $2 trillion, and not getting at least something like that out of the deal, that uh, uh, we, we got the short end of the stick nationally. As far as what the West is going to have to deal with going forward, if the state does not have the cash to buy down and reduce the cost to local government, those local governments are going to have to raise their mill levies, raise their sales tax, and, and you know become high-tax cities, which may work during boom times when everybody's flush with cash, but when people are leaving the state again because they don't know how long this next bust is going to last, they're right back in the same position that they were in the 80s, repeating history over and over and over and never learning from it. Well, and that's where I'm a little bit concerned. I, I don't know if Bismarck quite has a grasp on what's going on outside of Bismarck because, you know, in Fargo, like I said, not only the restaurants closed, but, you know, the malls are closed. Macy's, I mean, there's there's a national story about whether Macy's is even going to reopen or not. You know, I've had conversations with people around town that they're pretty well convinced that 30 to 40% of the restaurants are never going to open their doors again. And these are real conversations with people in our community that we know. And it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different. And, you know, talking to you, you know, people are moving around and yeah, restaurants aren't busy, but they're still doing, you know, delivery and, and drive through and things like that. So I, I kind of look at it where, you know, the rest of the world is kind of shut down a little bit. And so there's going to be a little bit of a ripple that comes from this as well. As Has that been? Have you heard anything about that around Bismarck at all? It's the kind of, you know, a little bit different. You know, you got uh, a lot more activity in the center of the state. You get near the borders and there's like none. Yeah, I think that um, one situation that had been already brewing was a glut in commercial real estate. Even before this situation, last year... I was already talking to some of my donors, and they were saying that there is just too many square footed foot of commercial real estate in Bismarck. Uh, and I think that what you're talking about with closings of malls, stores, restaurants, uh, you know, Bismarck might be somewhat insulated from that. It's not completely, but but nationally, you're going to see an absolute collapse in commercial real estate. It's probably going to be the commercial equivalent of what happened in 08, 09, and that's going to come down the road because the the rents and leases are, are still in effect. And once those are, are either lapsed or the tenants bail out of them one way or another, uh, you're going to see a, a very drastic change in that market. And that's going to lead to a lot of repurposing and all that. Um, but I would say Bismarck is insulated. I mean, in January... Uh, our park district put 
through the through the city of Bismarck a uh, half cent sales tax that would allow the park district to bond out 120 million dollars for a brand new rec center, you know Taj Mahal Rec Center on the north side of town, and. You know, I've been talking to folks that have been supportive of that, which include a lot of conservatives that are usually against every spending and tax measure. But, uh, you know, I tell them, is this really appropriate when the economy is collapsing and we're literally going into an era where being around other people is uh, frowned upon? And they say, oh, yeah, don't worry, it'll blow over. Well, I think that culturally that it's not going to blow over. People are going to find more ways to do things independently. Um, they're They're going to now value the time that they had you know people don't understand how little free time they have in life until they have actual free time and uh people are i believe the the uh the rat race is going to slow down a little bit and people are going to start valuing their time more than that extra 10 percent on the paycheck and you're going to see a situation where uh, that is going to start affecting the economy on a long-term basis because people are going to want leisure time, want want to take the weekend off or, you know, take a four-day weekend instead of a three. And it's going to incrementally pile up and pile up. And, you know, people are going to be looking for ways to get away from the crowds uh, because they're they're wanting that, that uh, independence. And I think that any local government that right now has a measure on the ballot that would create more spending or more taxes has to really reevaluate that and determine whether they want that to be a downward driver on their economic growth in the future when six months ago a half cent sales tax would not have been a problem with the economy now it might be how about for your organization? How are you making money these days? Uh, I know that you know you're a home office guy, so you 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 are somewhat of a transitional person. But um, talk to me about how you're you know you're making money and and staying afloat these days during the COVID nineteen shutdown. So basically, a plug so people can give you some of their business. Well, uh, we raise money. Uh, one way that they can do it is they can go to our website at at watchingnd.com. Uh, we have not put a big push on our donors because, uh, for the most part, they're small donors who, you know, can throw in a hundred bucks here and there. But those folks are hurting. They're they're wondering where their next meal is going to come from, or their ma- next paycheck, or they're trying to get their unemployment for for whatever. With you know, the, a lot of them are self-employed, and even the wealthy donors that we have, you know, they've got businesses, they've got employees that they're trying to keep solvent. And, uh, you know, one of them said six weeks he can handle as far as paying his people to do nothing. But after that, it gets tough. And so we're, we're trying to uh, be reasonable on that and, uh, you know, basically hold off on, on any big asks but until these folks can figure out their own personal situations. Over the last several years, I've, uh, I, I've gotten into the Uber driving visit, business so that uh, I'm not relying on the generosity of donors 100%. And uh, so I'm in that same crowd with a lot of people. And, and so as a result, I've been keeping an eye on what the state has been doing as far as this new uh, uh, benefit that the feds have, have uh, through Congress approved, which would give uh, unemployment benefits to uh, self-employed 1099 Schedule C type people. Um, and, and just basically doing what I can, um, knowing that 
other people are are probably in much worse situations and um, you know we got to be reasonable and and measured with what we ask of other people knowing that everybody is in a in a hurt situation right now to listen to the full-length interview visit the crudelife.com The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. That's going to do it for today's The Crude Life Podcast. I'd like to thank Tiffany Wilson with Aries Building for coming on today's program, talking about the Easter Basket Charity Drive. Again, folks, links, the PayPal link, the LinkedIn page, the interview in its entirety available at thecrudelife.com here on the show page. Dustin Goverlow, thank you for stopping by and talking a little bit about what's going on in North Dakota with uh, the tax situation and how it sounds like there might be a special session. I don't know how they're going to do that via Skype, via Zoom. Be interesting. I'm sure the governor will figure it out, though. He used to, you know, did a lot with Microsoft. So, Josh Swanson, we're going to hand the baton off to him in just a second with Vogel Law. He's going to explain why the language of pandemic and epidemic could be extremely important in the oil and gas industry. So... Those are available right now at thecrudelife.com. Our headlines are there. Our sponsor today, thank you very much, Elite Energy Services, the fire tube specialists. Elite Energy Services' mission is to be the most honest and ethical trade partner of choice. And I know the Allen family, and they are. They're good, honest people, the type of people that actually look you in the eye when they shake your hand. My guess is they'd probably even shake your hand right now, even if you're not wearing a glove or not. They're so honest, they'd wash their hands. Make sure of it, you know, that's the type of people they are. They value the importance of relationships. And let me tell you, folks, they're going to continue to remain fair and true in their dealings with all their employees, their clients, their vendors, and their partners. For more information, check out their website at EliteEnergyServices.org. Of course, you can always check out our podcast page. And we got the links there. The FireTube Specialists at Elite Energy Services. Okay, the March Madness Tournament. We have up the final four matchup between Swan Energy, number one seeded Swan Energy. Number 13, underdog, the literal underdog, number 13, the Cinderella Story, canine pipe inspections. And then in the other bracket, the number two, Target Hospitality. Taking on number three, Aries Buildings in the temporary housing matchup. We have David versus Goliath, temporary housing. It's the final four. Coming up in just actually this afternoon, I think, or is it coming up? When is it? I don't know. The finals are happening, though. So you want to check it out at thecrudelife.com. Johnny Green's got a link as well. Pope Francis says the coronavirus may be nature's response to the climate change crisis. You got to check it out, folks. You can't make it up. Can't make it up. Crude life, ready for anything. The crude life is ready for anything because now Greta Thunberg, Leo DiCaprio, Pope Francis, ready for anything. That's going to do it for today's program. Provolone, excellent job manning the production elements here. We're going to hand the baton off to Josh Swanson with Vogel Law, who will then hand the baton off to the Moody River Band and give you a couple songs on the back end. Folks, 
We'll see you tomorrow here on the Crude Life Podcast from the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Josh Swanson from Vogel Law about how their offices are staying busy while adapting to the COVID-19 shutdown and the coronavirus pandemic. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Josh Swanson, attorney at Vogel Law. It seems like the term epidemic and pandemic could trigger or get caught up on some things. And that's a really good question, Jason, especially when you take a look at, for example, when did the World Health Organization and CDC declare COVID-19 to be a pandemic? Is that an event that officially under the contract triggers it because that's when it was declared a pandemic versus before that when it was spreading throughout parts of Asia. So that's a really good question. And that's that is where lawyers make their money as to when do these events occur. And I, I think, you know, if I'm arguing it, I don't know that I would try to try to tell the court, well, this this wasn't a pandemic or epidemic, Your Honor. I might argue the timeline. In fact, that's what I would probably focus on, depending on the client and the contract, is when did the party have knowledge of the force majeure event being the pandemic? And when was it actually a pandemic or foreseeable so i i think the other end of it that's important too is that if you're a party to a contract with force majeure language to reach out to the other side because there's nothing that says you know typically when when we have a dispute unless there's certain statutory timelines at play we don't go rushing to the courthouse right away to file a lawsuit we reach out to the other party and we try to work through it and say hey look I know I can't comply with this contract. This thing is kicking everyone's butt. We know that we got to pay some money. Let's talk about a payment plan or let's talk about an agreement because it's, you know, better to get 50 cents on a dollar right now and then get paid the rest at a later date when this all subsides than for one party to say what we're, you know, we're probably going to see a lot of companies filing for bankruptcy here. So uh, there's different issues at play with that. But but the, the key thing is, you know, one, you can try to work it out with the other side to the agreement. And I think, you know, Cheesecake Factory, they're, they're doing that as an example because they're the, as far as I know, one of the bigger businesses out there that's told landlords, hey, we can't pay right now. So if you're the landlord, you know, what's the alternative? You force Cheesecake Factory into bankruptcy and then who's going to rent the lease space right now at those retail locations? Well, nobody is going to do it. So there's a lot of... You know, you're, you're a guy that, that understands business, Jason. So there, there's a lot of practical implications, too, where as a lawyer, I would tell my clients, you know, this is how it could play out. And there really are no good solutions and no good answers. And, and that's the, the one thing with this COVID-19 thing. There's really no good example for litigators, for folks in, in the media and politics and even the law. To listen to the full-length interview with Josh Swanson from Vogel Law or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Be sure to check out our daily podcast as well as our social media pages at thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies. Asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life.
when it's time to put the booze down Find us some solid ground Clean this damn life up And turn it all around We got lost in the smoke and drink We can feel each other starting to sink It was time to get back to our hearts No.
trouble. There's no breaks in the place. It's just you and me, baby. Singing it like we did in the good old days. Yeah, we're singing it like they did in the good old days. Because we're back to the way. seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.